Hey everybody, welcome back to the Vivid Word Podcast. Um, In last week's episode, we talked about dialogue in general. We talked about why it's important, different elements of conversation and the communication cycle, um, and how to steward our conversations with people better. And in this episode today, we're going to continue on that topic, talking um, in particular about conversations that are difficult or maybe deeper than just your average small talk. But in order to enter into a conversation with someone where you are feeling super, super offended or hurt, you either have to bring yourself around to a place of compassion for that person or engage with them enough to the point of inviting them to do the same thing with you. Co-suffering. Passion is suffering. And it's, it's suffering with somebody else and seeing whatever thing that's making them so upset. It's, it's beyond just empathizing and you definitely don't have to sympathize with it, but you are experiencing that same suffering that they're experiencing that comes from whatever core experience they have, which is why we have such volatile binary opinions on things because we have so many people going around experiencing so many messed up things. We will explore how to steward dialogue well in all of these areas. And to do this, we lay out different settings these conversations can happen in, which led us to a surprising discussion about the good, bad, and ugly sides of political dialogue and social media arguments, and how to cope when we have to have these hard conversations in circumstances that are less than ideal. Hope you enjoy. All right. Well, today we are talking about existential dialogue. Nice. Yeah. Basically anything in the area of religious, personal topics, what I like to call deep talks. I feel like that was the term that I affectionately used in middle school when Mm. I felt like I always wanted to have friends over and spend the night and then we would sit up all night and have deep conversations. Like that was this thing that Mm -hmm. like we weren't really good at doing yet, but we really wanted to make it happen. And it was usually about like boys that we liked, but it felt really important because it was like vulnerable. Ah. Yeah. Do you not (laughs) boy talk? (laughs) That's not really what we're talking about today. (laughs) I do I do know what you're talking about because like I remember sleepovers growing up yeah early young teenage years mostly for me it was video games all night <laughs> just till like no no deep talks just video no games. no deep talks <laughs> just video games mostly yeah until a certain point mm. when i was like on a camping trip and it's just yeah. like you stay up all night talking about stuff deep talks just staring into the fire usually comes with sleeplessness yeah yeah so I like that term because I think it encompasses what we're talking about well, but it also is nostalgic. So um, just as a refresher, um, I have a definition of dialogue mm-hmm. and I'm not actually sure if it's the same one that you used, but it's okay. I liked this one for the purpose of today. Pretty sure it came from dictionary.com. Um, <laughs> it says that dialogue is a conversation between two or more persons. Um, an exchange of ideas or opinions on a particular issue, especially a political or religious issue, with a view to reaching an amicable agreement or settlement. Mm. And I like that end part a lot because today we're basically going to talk about 
why good dialogue about hard things is important and why it's also really hard to come by. Um, and like some major obstacles that I think we encounter. So I was thinking, yeah, just about like kind of how almost addicting having conversations like philosophical and religious or like theological conversations are because like once you cross into that boundary at least for me like I don't want to have small talk with people sure like if I meet a friend and we like finally get to the point of talking about something other than like what we did that day Mm -hmm. like once we breach that like gap it's really hard to go back I mean obviously it's really important to talk about these things um and it can be really fun too like I don't think it has to be all like serious and like no heady all the time you gotta have like ground rules you gotta both know what you're doing right because if only one person is having a deep conversation (laughs) and the other person is trying to avoid having a deep conversation right um then you get conflict yeah um so one thing i have written in my notes is exactly that like i feel excited at the prospect of a deep conversation with like a good trusted friend or like coworker or whatever. Um, but it's not super, super common that that excitement is like met in the way that I want it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like if I'm entering into a conversation and I'm like, this could be really good. Like it's hard to find a person and a circumstance where like you have the ideal set up for mm-hmm. a really, really great conversation about faith or mental health or you know whatever yeah um there's so many for you to be on the same page because it's such a delicate issue whether i mean you're not really gonna, anything worth having a deep conversation about is 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 deep enough that it's going to have some important implications right if you get it wrong right and have the conversation in a wrong way and so you have to mm. both have your same terms defined mm-hmm uh, you've got to be in the same like emotional place or at least like energy wise. Right. You know, you can't have someone who's just had a really long day and then someone who's just been like, really waiting for yeah. the chance to have this conversation. Yeah. So. And it's hard because, I mean, there's like, that's the ideal. But I guess what I was thinking about before recording this episode is how like we have a lot of really important conversations all the time mm. and the vast majority of them like don't have those ideal circumstances so like what do we do when our circumstances are less than ideal Mm -hmm. which a lot of the time they are um so i mean like you and i right now are having a conversation like that and we do this when we record these podcasts and when we're not recording Mm -hmm. um and that's like a safe good space to do it in and we usually don't argue because well i guess because we're not argumentative people but (laughs) um I, i guess i kind of thought of or began thinking of it and like tears which might not be the right like image to use but i was kind of thinking about like friendly like comfortable or like safe conversation kind of going down to like argument and then like that can happen in like political spheres religious spheres Mm -hmm. whatever um and then i started thinking about like how these conversations happen in person face to face Mm -hmm. they can happen over the phone through texting yeah and then like social media and like it just kind of goes down from there and i feel like the quality of those conversations tends to decrease Mm -hmm. in that order as well um sure because if you look at the communication cycle like we talked about in the last episode the 
crazy process of getting these abstract ideas <clears throat> and turning them into thoughts, even just within your own head, and then turning those thoughts into messages still yeah. just within your own head, and then taking that message, encoding it into language and behavior, mm -hmm. and then sending that out there into the world where all this interference can get in the way. And then someone else has to decode your message and turn do the it back exact and, same thing and, and do everything in reverse. Yeah. Um, that's nuts. So yeah, your medium of communication can have an effect on how much mm. interference can get in. Right. Uh, face to face, you have a lot of data being transferred, mm -hmm. facial expressions, body language, intonation, all of that stuff. And then all the way down to sharing memes out of context is right. probably the most interference that could it's probably more interference than it is right. <laughs> actual message going out. And what's crazy is that you can have both of those situations and like you can have that a uh, face-to-face conversation where you mm -hmm. have all of those tools to figure out what's going on. Sure. And somebody can post a meme and it can be about the exact same topic. Yes. And like one person on one end of the conversation might still be trying to make a point that they would be trying to make in a face-to-face -face conversation, mm -hmm. but like you've lost so much. Um, like you don't have tools to interpret how people are going to react or what they're going to say. And the people who are receiving what you're saying don't ha really have any tools. Um, if you're on the meme extreme, shall we say? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so the medium of conversation really matters. Um, I This one is kind of like a curveball. Not a curveball, but it, it doesn't fit as well into like face-to-face -face conversation down to like internet conversation. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that talking about prayer is important in this topic because it is deeply personal. It's connected to religion, obviously. Um but the way that we handle prayer in this conversation is a little bit different because it's trickier. It's a little harder to understand. Um, I think it has a lot more to do with listening, which we'll talk about a little bit later. So are we talking about how we talk about prayer or are we talking about prayer itself? I think we're talking about prayer itself. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have written here that every person who has ever engaged in one of the forms of dialogue that we just talked about is someone who's capable of stewarding those conversations either for great good or great ill. Mm. Um, and there's a book I love that I think I've mentioned before, at least to you, maybe on the podcast, um, called Caring for Words in a Culture of Lies. Mm -hmm. And um, the author, Marilyn Chandler Moore, um, says at one point, with the loss of subtlety, clarity, and reliability of language, we become more vulnerable to crude exercises of power. And that quote is in the context of talking about like the weight of conversation, the weight of language about important things. I feel like that is very relevant right now on. Yeah. Can you say that again? Yeah. Um, without or with the loss of subtlety, clarity and reliability of language, we become more vulnerable to crude exercises of power. Okay. So subtlety, clarity, and reliability, and reliability mm -hmm. within our language. Yeah. So subtlety meaning like we talked about, if words are the little packages that we put ideas into, mm. 
so that we can give them as presents to other people <laughs> <laughs> or give them as building blocks to other people so we yeah. can stack them up to build like a larger thought then you know those pieces need to fit together in a certain way right there we have lots of synonyms mm-hmm. we have lots of words where they're like denotations are the same but mm-hmm. then like their connotations are wildly different right and they they pack a lot more meaning than just what someone wrote in a dictionary yeah about them mm-hmm. um but that's that so i think that's what she's meaning about the subtlety right of language you could also like say nuance probably New, yeah, play, sure. yeah that explains it as well and uh clarity mm-hmm. there's this quote that i will probably repeat many times over the course of our <laughs> our conversations that reading makes a man whole and talking makes a man ready mm. but writing makes a man precise mm. and that you kind of need all of those things so mm. i've i've taken each of those things like in a different way knowing that i need each of those things because if you're you've read a bunch and you've written a bunch so you're like you're loaded with ideas and you've honed them down but you won't be able to use them unless yeah. you go to conversation and like hash them out with right. somebody else. Same thing if you've been talking a lot and you've been uh, writing a lot, but then you're empty because you haven't mm. loaded yourself up with any ideas. Yeah. Or you can be loaded up with ideas and be ready. And you're always talking about mm. those ideas, but you haven't written anything down. Right. Then you you haven't sharpened up. Yeah. Uh, your messaging. Hmm. Um, because we write to think and this series, we're not really talking about writing yet, but we're going to get there. Yeah. And I mean, it all, it's all connected. So it's all connected. we can talk about it a little bit it, it was, <laughs> if we yeah. need to. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we got subtlety, subtlety, clarity, clarity, and then reliability. Yes. And I think that's a, that's a big thing. I think it's very connected to truth mm-hmm. and un- being able to have, there's like a, a contract almost between like me and you talking right now. And this can happen on like a national level level. Um, Like there has to be a level of trust that the words that are being spoken are based in some kind of basic truth because without that, we don't know, like we don't have a, um, a reference point. That's so crazy. Now that I really think about it, how much, trust there is in Mm. language just just talking to strangers with the same language there's this inherent trust built into the system of language that you're both kind of talking about the same thing and it's not so much that you're naive and there's a difference between lying and someone irresponsibly using language right that I really don't want to make this whole hour conversation about politics, but like that's, I mean, I, (laughs) I read, like I had this quote written in my notes weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Um, and last night, which was January 7th, 2021, Mm. I read that quote and I was like, Oh my gosh. Like all that I can think about is American politics. And all that I can think about is, I mean, really the way, and we talked about not getting too too political on this podcast, but before I left the house today, I told Patton, I think I'm going to talk about the Capitol and Trump because you see a direct correlation between a loss of the sanctity of 
language and a loss, a lack of mm-hmm. understanding, um, like mutual understanding at a national yeah. level. And you see the direct results of the words of the biggest leadership mm-hmm. head in the country yeah. and the direct result that that created um, mm-hmm. on January 6th. Yeah. And so that, I mean, that this quote is just like, with the loss of those three things, crude exercises of power yes. occur. And I was like, well. <laughs> yeah. And before we can dive what into- What an example. <laughs> we can dive into more specifics if you want. But I think yeah. zooming out for a second at mm-hmm. the idea of- the exercise of the or the crude exercise of power mm-hmm. for me it's not just describing what happened the other day right it describes this idea of political rhetoric mm-hmm. in general at least what political rhetoric has come to be over not just the past you know 4 years not even the past decade, like yeah. the past like many years <laughs> in American history. Yeah. But especially it was really highlighted once we had major media sources and 24 hour news and yeah. um yeah, this idea of a political rhetoric. So usually mm. rhetoric is a way to describe that process of packaging ideas, abstract thoughts, uh, into symbols and signs. Uh, including words but not limited to words yeah and now what when we talk about political rhetoric we're usually meaning like a set system of ideas Mm -hmm. that are triggered by using phrases and i mean yeah mostly phrases and Mm -hmm. words so we're not actually like it, it takes the decoding process or, or, or it lets you fast track the decoding process. You right. don't have to figure you out what someone You hear a phrase means. and you know what someone, or you think you know what someone believes and is talking about. Mm-hmm. Like you're able to separate them into some basic camp that helps yes. you like make sense of what's going on. Yeah. And it's also a way to, uh, you know, just to shortcut having to make all of your words makes sense right and um it's a way to shortcut the nuance of language yeah you can just jump to well um a a binary thought process because our political system in america at least is set up to trigger a binary reaction right you don't really need to know you just need to know a few buzzwords either it's uh progressive or conservative or it's right you know whatever yeah um it's red or blue yeah. <laughs> you could even it's so, so so much to the point where you just a color a color <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's crazy that mm. our entire you you even see it uh through all, all of our news sources mm. you know the graphic designer in me hasn't like really i appreciate it like dang it's really it's good it's a really into- good system for our media makes it really easy for them because all I have to do is like change the banner depending on who they're talking about. <laughs> yeah. And we know what's we going know on. What they're supposed to represent. Right. From top to bottom. Yeah. Just based off of uh whatever color they're associated with. Yeah. Which is insane. Like that that's the sort of brutal misuse of mm. what used to be a beautiful thing. Right. Of language. Yeah. 
I mean, yeah, we lose like in like you were saying, in one sense, it's convenient. It's nice to be able to look at like the results from the um runoffs or what are mm-hmm. they? Is that what it's called? Yeah, at least in Georgia. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the Georgia runoff, um, like you can look and say Georgia used Georgia was a blue state for the last whatever or a red yeah. state for the last twenty years. Mm-hmm. Now it's a blue state, and everybody has an understanding of what that means. Sort of, sort of. But one, yeah, like you, you know that that means okay. The two Democrat candidates that were on the ballot were elected, mm-hmm. but beyond that, people have wildly different ideas of what it means. But we're still using those very very small words or colors to just like put blanket statements over everything which means that we've lost clarity and reliability in a lot of ways because we can't use certain words or phrases or language anymore Mm -hmm. without being put into a certain camp and like i mean i find myself doing that all the time like i read one thing that one person writes or says and i'm like oh well I must just know everything about what they believe and where they stand. And I have to check myself and remind myself like (laughs) I've done the same thing and I probably can't make these assumptions just based on this one phrase that they chose to use. Um, Yeah. uh, It's complicated. It's complicated. And it's, it's also a, a way of, uh, or like, I like the word debase. Mm. We don't use it very often in society, (laughs) but uh, which is good because it's a it's a it's maintained a little bit of its uniqueness, <laughs> um, and I might use it a lot in the next few minutes. So, uh, but overall, it still retains some of its uniqueness. So, I like the word because it implies that there is a a base. Mm. We usually only use it for for people. Yeah. Like we talk about dogs, and like dogs don't debase themselves. Not, <laughs> they're, not they're really. Dogs. <laughs> I mean, if you used it to describe a dog, you would mean the baseline dignity that the dog had, and then it right. abandoned even that little bit of dignity that it had right. as being, you know, a dog. But for people, we have this baseline of dignity, mm. and then when we debase ourselves, we're like separating Removing ourselves from ourselves all from that, that dignity that came from um being a person yeah uh and i think as human beings we are uniquely capable of sinking so far below like since we're so high as far as our function we have so far to go um and it's crazy that we can choose to go there yeah. like again other animals they can't choose to debase themselves like that much right but humans can. Yeah. And one of the ways that humans can is by abandoning the mm. nuance, clarity, and reliability of the the language and the words that we use. Yeah. And so this may be getting dramatic, but I'm I'm trying I'm trying to be a little bit tongue-in-cheek with it. And like I don't I feel like it's really important, but I'm also saying I'm not saying if you've ever shared a meme that you're debasing <laughs> yourself, but I, I will use the example of like memes yeah. are a way that we abandon all subtlety mm. <laughs> and nuance um, and clarity in our thoughts. Yeah. And just like, here, you know what says it best? This caption and this picture. Mm. <laughs> that's all <laughs> that's all and 
I think it's just as a culture, we've gotten to a place. I'm not, I'm not even going to try to say it's because of this. Mm. I'm not going to try to be conclusive with it, but I will point out, imagine the world 15 years ago. Mm. And now imagine how we communicate with each other now. I think it speaks for itself. Yeah. (laughs) And it even extends to our political Mm. center, like political rhetoric, as far as attaching your entire campaign Mm. as a, as a representative of the people to a list of ideas and then attaching shorthand to that list of ideas Mm -hmm. and then attaching that shorthand list to yourself as a uh, a representative of the people is the same as like running a whole country based off of memes and like that's the only way you i mean just look at the last few debates that we've had Mm -hmm. on a on the national stage it's just it basically it's basically people making memes if the the men in question knew how to use photoshop or <laughs> like knew how to actually yeah. use a computer to make a meme yeah but um, <laughs> but yeah it's it's so it's just yeah and i mean the like language has just been yeah i mean once again not to be dramatic but i think it's an appropriate word to say like brutalized or i was gonna say reduced and then you said brutal and i liked that better mm. but um i mean like there's a reason that the presidential debates were like if you watched them which either you chose not to watch them because you knew it would be mm-hmm. miserable um or you watched them and then you were miserable and sad that you would watch them like it, it's all of that centers around language and it's that's at least something that I think most people were able to agree on um, in October of last year or whatever. Like across the board, I heard from a lot of people online and person, whatever, just saying like that was one of the worst things I've ever listened to. And like there, there's a point where we where pretty much everyone can recognize like this is really, really, really bad dialogue happening. Um, and like it's hard to ignore at a certain point the way that like dialogue, especially in a political setting where it's supposed to be used well and respectfully mm-hmm. and logically and carefully, like all of that just seems to have been thrown out the window. Um yes. and that's and I think I think that's very painful for a lot of people, mm-hmm. which is like, yeah, I guess I guess it's interesting the direct correlation that people like feel between abuse of language and the way that that like actually brings like grief um, to like a nation or at least a portion of a nation. I feel like people, they recognize it on a internal level, Mm -hmm. but they may not know what's happening other than things are worse. Right. (laughs) This is bad. (laughs) This is bad. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah. And yet those words even when they're like just used in like, even when the primary mode of communication is like Twitter or Facebook mm-hmm. or a news channel, if like, that's how we're hearing from like a president or a Senator or whatever, like those words still have immense power, even if they're yes. really, really poorly crafted words, which I think is where it gets tricky because it's so hard to watch people respond to words that yeah. are so poorly cared for but like what are what else are people gonna do Mm -hmm. um like if you are listening to this 
president or congressman or whatever, like you're going to listen to them because they're the leadership that you're looking to, which is where like the cruelty and the power abuse comes in because like people who have that much control and power, they're going to have power no matter what. But the way that they use their words with that power can like seriously affect the people who are following them. When I look into the face of my enemy, I see my brother, I see my brother. When I look into the face of my enemy, I see my brother, I see my So, so we didn't plan to talk about any of this, no, (laughs) (laughs) but I think it's really good. I remember we had a conversation planning out this series. Mm -hmm. We might've been talking about this episode, but the idea came up where we were thinking about, it was like we were grappling with the question of pointing out the flaws in and the limitations of social media. Mm. I think you were talking about you did not get into an argument with somebody, but you got into a confrontation with somebody on social media and that was weighing on you. And so we were talking about whether or not it's ever worth it Mm. to engage on a platform or through a medium that is so limited. Yeah. And we did not come to a conclusion. We said, Mm. we'll do a podcast about it. (laughs) (laughs) And figure it out. And this just might be the time (laughs) for that. (laughs) So one of the things that I defined as like, an or identified as an obstacle, I mean, I think all of them are relevant. I think there are just four things. But one of them is um, undefined terms, which we've talked about like a a little bit already. I think you've mentioned it. Mm -hmm. Um, But, and we've talked about this plenty just in other conversations um, and in this social media conversation, how one of the hardest things about debates on Facebook or Instagram or whatever is that so rarely is there like an understood like playing field or even starting place. A lot of the time you don't know the person who you're debating with and your only perception of them comes from their profile, which is probably made up of memes and other things that anyone Mm -hmm. else's social media profile might be made up of. And so it's really, really difficult to know what terms you have in common, what definitions you have in common, if any at all. And, and then there's also a tone that you're, you're missing and not everyone knows how to write in a certain tone or not even everyone interprets the same, Mm. the exact same things with the same tone. Like some people will hear it in their heads, um, different ways. And that's where body language can come in and help, Mm -hmm. but you don't have any of those tools. Um, So those are the limitations of the platform. Yeah. But even within those limitations, I guess when I, and I'm not 
like a purist and not on social media at all. Like even when I'm looking through social media, there's just certain things that make me shake my head more than other things. Probably top tier is uh, when people share a meme that someone else made that is, or maybe they made it. I don't know. That's just like a straw man argument of somebody else or just like a full of a fallacy ridden meme. And it just, it's really stupid to comment fallacy, like logical fallacies under a meme because it's uh it's a meme, <laughs> but people will try to make serious points with memes. Yeah. Um, whether it's individuals or usually individuals will be sharing these memes made by like actual established organizations that make a living communicating with people. And I know it gets them clicks. Like I know yeah. it's part of their business model, but like, who <laughs> journalistic integrity might need to be a whole nother talk. <laughs> we could do that. <laughs> I got a book over there. It's called reforming journalism mm. by Olasky. And I want to read it. Mm. It's just on my shelf right nice. now for clout. But uh, <laughs> for clout, I'm gonna read it. <laughs> then we can talk about it. Sweet. But so that's okay. Like that's top tier. Most annoying is when people use memes to communicate for them. But possibly number two on the list is when people will say something inflammatory and then right at the end say, "Just trying to start a dialogue." I don't want people to argue with me. Yes. Yeah. And that might make me more mad <laughs> because it's less common than the other one. But mm -hmm. what makes I'm, you mad about it? I'm frustrated. I, I guess it's the, the idea of, well, the example you said of like not wanting people. So, so I do see that, that sometimes where people say something inflammatory and then like, I don't want to hear any argument back. I just want to say gonna, this. I'm just going to disable comments or yeah. I just want to say, I just want to shout this out into mm -hmm. the void. And then it just makes me think like, well, your, your actions have consequences. Mm -hmm. um, yes, people can ignore what you're saying, but people aren't going to ignore what yeah. you're saying. <laughs> what you're saying is really hard to ignore. Mm -hmm. Um, I definitely believe in a freedom of speech and you can say the most inflammatory things that you want to say yeah. and I'll defend your right to do that, but you don't have the right to hedge yourself in that way <laughs> and yeah. say, I'm just trying to start a dialogue. Um, so I guess, you know, I'll, I'll dial it back. Maybe I'm not angry, but I want to pose it as a question. The idea, Hey, I'm just trying to start a dialogue on and putting that on social media seems reasonable but let's tug on that a little bit mm. is it possible to start a reasonable dialogue on social media like at all like period is it possible to start a reasonable dialogue a helpful beneficial that's open like open forum mm -hmm. without the other benefits that social media does not have for communication i think the only examples i can think of are like the rare times that it, I, I think the places that I've seen it most often are between people who do have some common, like they know each other in person, they disagree about a political issue or whatever, and 
they one of them chooses to engage with the other in a conversation on a post or whatever. Mm. And I think I've seen it a few times with some different people. And like, I can't even think of a specific example, but every once in a while, and it's usually on Facebook, I come across like some disagreement and it manages to stay um, like friendly. And there's actually some like, okay, I, I see where you're coming from. Like, this is what I was trying to say, like kind mm-hmm. of taking on the language of an actual like debate. I almost feel like people treat it in those situations like they're trying to like handle an accidental misunderstanding because that's kind of the only way. Yeah. It's like people when they argue on social media are surprised that not everyone agrees with them. And so if you're going to come back from that and seek to like bring some, um, I don't know civil tea back into the conversation mm-hmm. you have to i mean i think there has to be an extreme posture of humility on both sides where like you almost have to like like i i think the instances where i've seen a good conversation happen is where yeah. both sides almost end up like cowering and they kind of start talking about more trivial things and then just yeah, say both like people are apologizing to each other right and they just say like best wishes and i mean some sometimes it's a little bit more like firm than that so i yeah. think in very rare cases or we agree to disagree like you, right. you get to a point where right i think we've said all we're gonna say all right um, bye <laughs> some of your arguments are compelling some of my arguments are compelling yeah and then and i think that's yeah. healthy but i don't know if any learning necessarily takes Mm -hmm. place in those situations and i like i mean i don't feel like i can speak yeah i don't know if i can speak conclusively um or across the board sure but i mean i think it's safe to say that the vast majority of the time those conversations aren't like they're not really worth getting into Mm -hmm. um or i mean i've even heard people say like a better alternative if you really want to talk to someone about something that they post like message them privately like even that private one-on-one conversation can create a very very different because like once it's just you and that other person you feel way more accountable to the way that you're speaking to them Mm -hmm. like you know that you don't have other people who are going to show up and back you up if you say something yeah super mean or if you you think that the public would make it people more (laughs) civil to each other but that's exactly you're you're exactly right like you know that everyone in your mutual networks of the people that you're talking to. People are going to rally around you and it becomes once again, like a binary, like yeah. I yeah, pick a side. Yeah. And like, I mean, I've been in that situation where I have, whether for like good or bad commented on a post that I disagreed with and just mm-hmm. felt like I really wanted and needed to say something. But in the back of my mind, it's like, okay, well, I saw that this person liked this post or like they're reading it and I know that they're going to agree with me. So I feel okay commenting something divisive because, Mm. or or something that could offend someone else or whatever, because I know that somebody else will come to bat for me. And so I feel better about it, which isn't really a good, like that's already so different from like, I'm, I'm already on the defensive. Yeah. And one thing that I was thinking about a lot before we started recording was the idea of being unoffendable, which is something that I've heard a few different people talk about mm-hmm. over time. Um, and I think it's super important and definitely has to be nuanced because like there are some things that we 
should take like good righteous offense to if that makes sense like there are some things that should make us angry and should like it's not just like nothing should ever bother us Uh, you gotta nail down a good definition of what it means to take offense right and then there's also the idea of not losing empathy right while also guarding yourself from being able to be offended yeah but i i think we go into social media dialogue ready to be offended like so, I mean, even the last few days, like with everything happening at the Capitol um, and just so much upheaval and grief and controversy, like I found myself going on social media, looking for the people or thinking about the people who are going to post things that are going to make me mad. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, that's something that is definitely unhealthy in me, mm-hmm. but I think that's the posture of a lot of people on public platforms is like you're looking for the people who you feel like you need to fight against and it's not really like a i want to seek out my neighbor in compassion and understanding and have a fruitful conversation it's like i just want to find somebody to like lash out against and i want to find like a person or a post that i can just like hold on to and be really mad about yeah yeah and so i think i don't know i guess that's the idea of not doing that (laughs) um of going in and being able to like take space to breathe Mm -hmm. and be quiet whether that's like actual face-to-face conversation Mm -hmm. or social media conversation like actually taking space to hold silence and be still and find time to process before lashing out and find time to consider whether it's worth being offended over or what you taking offense might look like I think those are all really important things. So let's deconstruct the phrase okay. a little bit. I don't have Webster's up in front of me right now, but I think I think we might be able to to do it just how, figuring out how we use the words taking offense. Right. Because that, you know, in an offense-defense mm. context, it's very interesting that you feel like you're hurt Mm-hmm. When you're offended by reading something on social media, but you take offense instead of taking a defensive mm-hmm. position, like there's this idea of it's like you're hurt and then your fight or flight activates and you are in the fight mode. Even if you don't actually like respond right. back, your brain has flipped into a mode of you're in offense mode Mm. you're in your fight mode versus a defense mode and i think i don't have again the internet up in front to check me right now but i think that's the way we use it and i think that is the root of how that Mm. phrase came to be Mm -hmm. and i can edit this out if that's not the (laughs) way it is (laughs) and i could look it up but i kind of like just thinking about it (laughs) yeah um so this idea of it's kind of like like a hedgehog would take offense and defense at the same time Mm -hmm. because it gets all spiky (laughs) or a little puffer fish um but just knowing like how our brains make decisions Mm. uh there's amygdala based decisions yeah and that's usually fear driven but the fear response can also be used to put us in an offensive mode right and i think when, when we talk about becoming unoffendable it's not saying that like nothing is wrong or I have no 
convictions mm. about anything and therefore no one can go against my convictions because I don't have any. Right. It's like <laughs> you can see someone going against your convictions without going after them or seeing them as a threat to you. Right. Or being like completely shaken to your core because you know, because one person tells you that they think something different than you. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I, like yes. I have something written here that says like we can actually offer up our words and thoughts for someone else or vice versa with the confidence that they like that they won't break us mm-hmm. if they disagree with us. Mm. And I think we have to I think it's hard for a lot of people to be unoffendable because they either aren't actually confident enough in what they're basing their argument or belief system on or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I think that gets more complicated. You have to have something strong, like beyond yourself that yeah. you feel confident enough in that you're not afraid to have hard conversations where people might disagree with you. I've read a couple of interesting books that have opened my world up to <laughs> the idea of, of opened me up to the question of how do we come to believe the things that we believe mm. and what are the foundations of the beliefs that we have mm. in our heads and then how tightly we hold on to those beliefs. Mm-hmm. And the name of the book is slipping me right now, but I will put it in the show notes. That'd be fine. I was introduced to this idea that we do not base our beliefs off of our knowledge. We base our beliefs off of our experience. Mm. We filter that through our knowledge. Mm -hmm. But that's not the root of our actual beliefs. Mm -hmm. And if our beliefs aren't built off of knowledge, our beliefs cannot be changed by knowledge. Yeah. They can only be changed by experience. Mm. And there's a few different ways to gain experience. You don't have to... we, We, as human beings, have this weird uh phenomenon of like vicarious experiences mm. that we can have where if we we really grasp something we can actually incorporate that experience mm. and live it vicariously yeah. um grown-ups call it learning stuff the easy way not the hard way <laughs> <laughs> but even still like knowing that that's how we come to believe certain things mm. we come to have certain convictions about things when someone says something inflammatory, part of that be not being offended is the first thing we need to understand is that they're, well, I'm, I was about to say that they're not saying that just to hurt you. And I can't say that universally. Yeah. Sometimes if it's one of like people do say things just for the purpose of, they say things they don't believe just for the purpose of hurting other people. Right. But say you see someone expressing their opinion and it's pretty clear they're actually expressing their opinion mm-hmm. and you don't like that opinion or that opinion actually like starts to raise hackles inside of you. You need to understand that that uh, they didn't just go out and like read a bunch of things to form that opinion. Right. That opinion probably comes from some sort of experience mm. filtered through their knowledge and their, mm. the knowledge that it's being filtered through might be distorting that, but the core experience, you cannot take that away from yeah. that person Yeah, because they experience it. Like they know this 
they might be interpreting interpreting their own experiences and filtering it through some knowledge that might be incorrect. Right. But that core experience hmm. is theirs. Yeah. Which and is why it's really hard to change people's minds because which you is can- why it's impossible to change people's <laughs> minds without help letting them vicariously experience hmm. the thing that is your foundational experience for whatever you're expressing. Yeah. Would you call that compassion? That's exactly or, what compassion yeah. is. So in order to bring somebody, not like bring them onto your side, mm. but in order to enter into a conversation with someone where you are feeling super, super offended or mm-hmm. hurt or whatever, you either have to bring yourself around to a place of compassion yeah, you- for that person or engage with them enough to the point of inviting them to do the same thing with you. Yes. And we've talked about compassion before. Mm-hmm. I know you've heard me talk about the etymology of that, but yeah. it's, it's that one's easy. It's mm. co suffering. Yeah. Passion is suffering. suffering. Yeah. And it's, it's suffering with somebody else. Yeah. And seeing whatever thing that's making them so upset. It's, it's beyond just empathizing mm. and you definitely don't have to sympathize with it, but right. you are like experiencing that same suffering that they're mm. experiencing um, that comes from whatever core experience that they have, which is why we have such volatile bi- mm. binary opinions on things because we have so many people going around experiencing so many messed up things. Yeah, And so in defense of the internet and not just the internet but the the media sharing world mm-hmm. that we have mm-hmm. right now where people can everyday people can make media sharing their main mode of communication yeah the big benefit to that is not necessarily the memes being made <laughs> which i feel like is a misuse of symbols and words mm. Um, and not just the being able to write paragraphs or inflammatory sentences at people, yeah. but it's the ability to show people a piece of your world and present it as you are showing people a piece of your world, mm. like the, uh, the humans of New York page of just right. like taking a picture of people, mm. talking to them, not using not like a reporter interview talking to them with directed questions so you can condense it into an article but just like asking them yeah what's up and uh you know people doing that with their in their their daily lives um people making films and i'm a big fan of the film media in Mm. general just because stories are a way where we can dive into someone else's experience Mm -hmm. and you can make a point without the point ever being explicitly said it's just Mm -hmm. if if you can get into this character's head get into the story's head live in this world for a little bit and you look around you see these events play out as the story is told you have a little bit of experience now it's not gonna be the same quality as a real life experience Mm -hmm. But now you have, when you go through a real life experience, you have another experience to hang it on. Right. And 
that's why books and stories told from perspectives that are way, way different than anything you could fathom in your life are so important Yeah, for you to get a glimpse into. So it expands your whole world. You can live someone else's life for a couple hours. Right. Or if you're reading a book, even longer. Yeah. And I think it's interesting to think about, like, maybe we can close on this. Like, in the way that we so readily take in, like, movies, music, books, mm. media, in some cases, that shows perspectives, like you were saying, that are mm. so different from ours. And then in conversation we for some reason do something very different a lot of the time instead Mm -hmm. of viewing it as like this isn't even a fictional person this is a real person whose unique experience i'm being invited to inhabit and consider but a lot of the time if it's about something deep and hard and personal which of course there are a million reasons why this could happen and we've talked about that a little bit but yeah i think it could be really powerful for people to try to think about dialogue Mm. in a similar way as like this could just be an opportunity for me to learn or like you said to inhabit somebody else's world that i could never really understand on my own like i'm once again the um from that book i mentioned earlier Mm -hmm. um she talks about words as or conversation as an exchange of gifts and as like two people offering up gifts to one another through language Mm. And I think that's such a different perspective than the vast majority of people, including myself. Like, that's not how I think about conversation very often. Yeah. I think that's a much more appropriate mm-hmm. frame of mind to have. Yeah. I think so, that's, a, that's an optimistic look. And I think <laughs> it's a it's a way forward for us to get a little bit more <clears throat> reliability back mm. into our language where we, we use art. And stories mm. and other people's experiences as a jumping off point, and don't try to change people's minds in a convert within a conversation. Mm. But the real way people's minds change is not by getting new in- new information; it's mm. by gaining new experiences, experiences. Uh, memories, mm-hmm. whether they are real memories that like they experience themselves mm. or these sort of vicarious memories that they've created yeah that's the best like art is a more reliable medium than this uh forum based Mm. written dialogue Mm. um but i think it can be redeemed if we keep that in mind thanks so much for listening If you've enjoyed this discussion and would like to hear more, consider leaving us a review. It helps us create better content, and it helps more people to find that better content. A win all around. You can find show notes and other resources by going to vividwordmedia.com and make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast app to never miss an episode. If you've got a question, an idea, or you'd just like to say hi, you can shoot us an email at vividwordmedia at gmail.com or stop by the Vivid Word Facebook page. Vivid Word is a self-publishing service working to get your book idea read, seen, and heard. Till next time.